Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. This is your host, Chris Lee, back after an absence of a week and a half. Thank you for listening. Our guest today will be George Plaster. This episode is sponsored by the Well Coffee House, a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roast coffee along with house-made pastries, breakfast and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills, downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more information at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We also thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center located in the Gulch. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, please call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. Well, the news, everything is canceled. That's all I've got for today, and we will talk about that in our upcoming episode with George Plaster, and the guest line is brought to you by Bowling Branch, which was started by Vanderbilt graduate Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowling Branch sheets were until I got them. They are fair trade certified, which means they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get these sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins us from Nashville Sports Radio. George, of course, is a Vanderbilt graduate. He has been a talk show host in this market since the 1980s. George, thank you for joining us today. You have seen a lot. I'm guessing you have never seen anything like what we are going through right now with the coronavirus. No, you're right about that. This is uh, this is definitely the weirdest deal that I've ever been a part of in, in close to 30 years. 9-11, I always said, was the toughest week uh, that week of trying to, to broadcast because you knew at the time that sports was inappropriate, that our country was in no mood for any of that. This one's a little bit different. And so, you know, we continue to talk sports, even though there aren't a lot of games on. Yeah. And of course with nine 11 sports were sort of part of the healing process. In this case, sports are sort of the process that or one of the processes that kind of makes everything worse by the nature of public gatherings. Yeah, and in that respect, it's uh, it's really a strange deal. And those of us who, uh, you know, I would kind of classify as sports junkies, uh, you know, people who spend 80, 85% of their television watching focus primarily on sports, this is kind of rough. What are the things that people are talking about? I was gone last week. I was on vacation. And frankly, if we had to do the vacation over again, knowing what we know now, I don't think we would have taken that trip. Boy, things change in a hurry. We left two Saturdays ago. And then I think by Sunday or Monday, it became evident how serious this was. So anyway, all that to say, I've not been around to listen to sports talk. I guess the Titans have sort of carried everybody's water, but how much interest are you getting in your shows right now? Uh, that and other things. Well, it's, uh, excuse me, it's harder to tell, excuse me, than it has been because so many people are at home 
probably glued to TVs. I wouldn't think that radio audiences are anywhere near as good as they normally would be with people driving during drive time, that kind of thing. Uh, Tom Brady a week ago was certainly a big help. Uh, he dominated conversation as he headed off to Tampa Bay. The NFL in general with free agency was uh, was a good thing. Uh, I have stuck to uh, doing a, a weekly what I call college basketball insider segment. And a week ago, I had Ron Bargatze and Lenny Acuff from Lipscomb. Lenny, uh, I thought, did a terrific job with a team that had suffered huge losses uh, from graduation. And to take them to within one game of the NCAA tournament was remarkable. Anyway, um, that, and I think the other story is just trying to examine what the various leagues are thinking, what kind of contingency plans are they putting together? Um, You know, is there a drop dead date for all of these leagues where they pitch the towel in and say, we're not doing this? How much have you missed March Madness? This used to be, or this last week, was my favorite week of the year traditionally. I love nothing more than watching the first and second round games. I actually found myself almost getting less interested in the tournament as it went on, which sounds strange because the purpose of a tournament is to crown a champion. But I just love seeing all the teams from across the country and all the games. And you just don't get any more meaningful basketball in a span of a couple of days than you get in the first and second days of the tournament, man, I found myself really missing that. Oh yeah. I mean, I watched a little bit of the uh, Kentucky Duke replay from 92. And in fact, I'm sort of efforting right now to try to do a show or at least a segment of a show around that game. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I miss the daylights out of it. Thursday and Friday in the opening round, I've always called, you know, the beginning of adult spring break. Um, For me, it normally meant that the weather was starting to get a little better. Not that it is here. Um, You know, it means baseball's just around the corner. For me, it was always a good time. And I've always believed that the public loved the first and second rounds because it gave it gave the underdogs, you know, some opportunities to to you know stick it to the big boys. And I've always thought that the public wanted to see some of that, but when you got to the Sweet Sixteen, that they no longer cared about George Mason, no longer were really all that interested in Illinois, Chicago, or um, you know, or whatever the Cinderella story might be, but they wanted Cinderella to have a moment during that first weekend. And then after that, cut out all the nonsense. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think what you like is the letter rounds progress is seeing the dominant teams and the dominant stars match up with each other. And I think it is fun if a VCU or a George Mason becomes a fly in the ointment, but it's the exception rather than the rule I think this year, I look back on the college basketball season, I found it mostly unremarkable and uninteresting compared to most years. There were no dominant teams. You don't have the superstars that have dominated college basketball. You had Zion Williamson a year ago. 
you just didn't have all the things that you normally have most college basketball seasons. To me, that made the tournament as interesting as I think I've seen it in a while if it had been played because you just had no idea what's going to happen. When you had San Diego State and Dayton in the running for one seeds is the tournament approach. I mean, that's unprecedented for college basketball. I think that the tournament this year had the potential to be more of a crapshoot than it's ever been. And that is among the many reasons, uh, maybe the biggest reason outside the fact that I just love watching it, that I really regret they didn't play this year. Yeah. You know, I, I just, um, as you're talking, pulled up Lenardi's uh, bracketology of how he thought this was all going to play out. One of the most interesting ones to me was going to be Liberty. Liberty was a team that came in here um, in December before Vanderbilt lost Aaron Neesmith and basically won it going away. Not that it was a, a big margin, but in the final five minutes, they dominated. And the big kid who had a little bit of Charles Barkley in him took over and Vanderbilt didn't have anybody that could guard him. Liberty, according to the, uh, the bracketology, was going to end up in a 5-12 game against Auburn. And I'll admit that that one intrigued me. Uh, I would like to have seen what might happen in that matchup. I know a lot of people believe that Liberty would take Auburn right to the wire. Uh, the various 5-12s were Auburn, Liberty, uh, Michigan against Yale, Ohio State against Stephen F. Austin, and then Butler is a five against either Texas or Richmond, who was going to have to play the the uh, play-in game in Dayton. Oh, Auburn Liberty would have been a phenomenal matchup because, first of all, Auburn really struggled with the three, and I think that's kind of how you beat Liberty is kind of shoot over the top of them. What Liberty did so well with that matchup zone was just choke off all drives. Vanderbilt had a lot of trouble getting to the rim, and frankly, that's one of the best things Vanderbilt did all year. That's where Auburn thrived. I think that game in particular, had it materialized, would have been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and I mean, um, who knows how it would have played out because Auburn is a little bit of a wild card as well. When they hit threes, they're really good, and when they didn't hit threes, they weren't so good. I kind of laughingly, uh, with Coach B, uh, saw one matchup that Lenardi had, which was Cincinnati against Virginia. And I placed the over-under at that game at 71. The first one yeah. to 40 would win. Yeah, that, that might not have been at the top of visually appealing games had it happened. No, uh-uh. Um, I'm just sitting here kind of looking. Um, here's Providence. Providence, uh, Arizona State was going to be a 7-10 matchup. Providence was a team at the end of the year that nobody wanted to face. They were one of those teams that made a huge run toward the end, um, got hot in February, and way better than they had been. They were nowhere near getting in for a long time. You know, a, another one that I guess personally I wanted to see uh, my buddy Darren Horn got in uh, at Northern Kentucky. And I'm looking here to see they would have gotten Florida State in Tampa. Ouch. Yeah, I don't know that they would have wanted that one. But 
the, no, nobody would have wanted Florida State. No, the the Providence-Arizona State matchup would have been intriguing because although Ed Cooley's not won a lot in the tournament, his teams are always achieving consistently. I think he's done a very underrated job at Providence. And Arizona State's kind of one of those teams that's always got very highly rated talent but never really matches it with its results. Well, I'll say this. Uh, they were one of, according to Lenardi, um, they were one of the last eight teams that got in. I happened to see them probably four or five times later in the season. I, I thought they were the most fun team to watch. Them and Auburn probably in the country just because uh, no shot, uh, you know, was unthinkable. Uh, they'd let it fly from anywhere. At times, it would get ridiculous. But Arizona State was really a fun and dangerous team um, under Bobby Hurley, and I, I would like to have seen where that would have gone. So if they play the whole thing, who's your pick to win the tournament? You know, um, I, I'm going to go with, the, I guess, the chalk in Kansas because I thought Kansas toward the end started to show me some things that, other teams weren't showing. They they were starting to uh, to give me a dominant look. I I didn't see Dayton enough to know whether I buy them as a legitimate uh, NCAA tournament you know winner. Uh, I absolutely mentally had ruled out Baylor. Baylor plays way too many close games, sixty to fifty six kind of games. Uh, they don't shoot free throws real well. Uh, at times, not the smartest as far as valuing the possession of the ball. NCAA tournament games come down to a lot of pressure, a lot of free throws late. Um, I just didn't think Baylor had the intangibles, and I kind of ruled them out mentally. Gonzaga uh, certainly as a one seed was going to be one that, uh, that people were really going to pay attention to. San Diego State had kind of lost some of the luster. Uh, they lost a couple of games in the final three weeks of the season, uh, including a, a tournament loss to Utah State. I'm trying to look here to see if Utah State got – well, yeah, they had to. They were automatic. Yeah, they beat uh, San Diego State in that tournament, although they didn't yeah. beat a lot of people. Well, I'll take that back. They might have beaten LSU, I want to say, from memory. They did win a couple of games, but the Mountain West, the problem with that league is um, outside those teams and BYU, there just wasn't a lot of resistance. And San Diego State and Baylor were two teams that, to me, appeared to kind of be petering out down the stretch and had probably played their best basketball already. Utah State had a really good guard, and I can't Sam remember Sam Morrill, I think, or Merrill. Merrill, that's it. Merrill. Merrill was a terrific player who I kind of wanted to see in March Madness. He lit up San Diego State in that Mountain West final. A uh, really good player. Um, Let me think. Because I'm with you. I think I would have taken Kansas. And by the way, we will get to Vanderbilt in a minute. Um, I think I would have taken Kansas – and you always have reservations about taking Kansas based on the history, but I thought Kansas could do more things. It had an inside presence. It had a little bit of depth, had great guard play. 
just the fact that there weren't a lot of really elite challengers, I think, would have been another reason for that. But I want to switch to Dayton for a second. What does it say that Anthony Grant was potentially going to earn a one or a two seed, and maybe a one, at Dayton, and yet couldn't get anything done at Alabama? Well, I guess I learned this lesson a long time ago, which was just because X person fails at X school or X job does not guarantee that they fail at the next one. To me, Joe Torrey was the poster child of where I started to come to that theory. When, when the Yankees hired Joe Torrey, he had been fired by the Mets the Braves, and he didn't deserve to be fired by the Braves. I'm a big Joe Torre fan. The Cardinals had fired him. The Angels had fired him. And when the Yankees hired him, you know, they got ripped to shreds for it. Um, and what happened? He turned out to be the calming influence in a sea of buffoonery. Um, he was the one guy that could keep George Steinbrenner under control and it just sort of taught me a lesson that hey just because you failed at one place doesn't guarantee that you'll fail at another I don't know why it didn't work for Anthony Grant at Alabama he had a great reputation coming into it done a good job at VCU well respected had a Billy Donovan uh, background um I don't know the answer, and I doubt the people at Alabama probably know the answer. Um, you know, it's not as though they hit rock bottom at Alabama, but they they were, during his tenure, for the most part, kind of a high NCAA team, uh, a high NIT team, uh, close but never there, a little bit like Jan Van Bredekoff's tenure at Vandy. I have a theory. Butch Jones has always been the guy that I use for this. I think Butch Jones did a really good job in the MAC and then at Cincinnati. And I thought he did a good job at Tennessee for the first two or three years. Then I think he just cracked under the pressure. You started seeing the crazy stuff he'd say at press conferences and just the whole situation. When momentum starts going in a bad way and a coach starts cracking, it just spirals down <laughs> basically like it does inside of a toilet and I think that's what happened to him my corollary is that you have some coaches that start cut out for that type of pressure and they're going to do fine on a lesser stage away from the brighter spotlights and I think sometimes maybe Anthony Grant is a guy with that was also the case but I I think that fit is an important thing because I just think there's certain coaches who can't handle that pressure but they do fine if you stop a couple of levels short of that well, here, here's one thing that maybe sticks out in this. At Alabama, basketball is of virtually zero importance. It's football, spring football, uh, football signing day, and then, oh, by the way, we play basketball. And that certainly frustrated C.M. Newton. It frustrated Wimp Sanderson. So he's at a place where – you know, the, there's not a lot of care. Well, then you go to Dayton 
And that is, that's the biggie. Great fan base, great tradition, uh, great old gym. Um, basketball at Dayton is really important. And I don't know what that has to do with it, but Anthony Grant has thrived in that setting. Same thing at VCU, if you really look at it. You know, basketball is king at VCU, and he did really well there. Well, Richie McKay is another one. Didn't do great at New Mexico. I think he made one tournament, got fired, and and now at Liberty, he's really got one of the best mid-major programs around. But let's switch gears to Vandy, since that's why people listen. Although I think the stuff we have gone through has been very interesting. I hope it is as interesting to your audience as it was to me. But I just keep thinking about Vandy and where's this going. The coronavirus has just destroyed a lot of things. I think that you not only have the health dangers, but I think the threat on the horizon is this could also, well, it's in the process of ruining our economy too. And that's a hard line to walk when you have life and death on the other hand, but you also have the fact that um, I guess if you're overcautious, which I don't know how comfortable I say I feel saying about being overcautious when you don't know what the results are. But anyway, I, I guess the point is um, you also run a risk to the economy as people lose jobs and businesses shut down. And you look at the crazy last six months Vanderbilt has had where you went from having an AD who was hired to change the culture and spend a lot of money and then um, in part was run off because he tried to do that. And I think the people in Kirkland Hall did not like and appreciate that. And now you have the backdrop where just in a few weeks, America has gone from probably one of the most thriving economies not just in history of our country, but in the history of the world, where it was a month ago, to now this environment where school's been shut down, dorms are closed, schools are, the school's losing revenue through this and that, uh, baseball's been shut down for the year, all these things. And now you have this uncertain future with football, which is the revenue driver. I can't help but think if Vanderbilt was reluctant to spend money in that economy and now its bottom line is getting hurt. I'm sure its endowment has taken a major hit. All the other things we've talked about that affect current income as well. I think you can't help but wonder where sports falls in all this and then what happens if they don't have a football season. Wow. You've raised a bunch of different questions, none of which any of us is truly prepared to answer. But the one thing I think we all know for sure, we're fighting problem number one that we're at war with, which is a coronavirus that you can't see, you don't quite know where it's striking, all of that kind of stuff. If and when we get that problem solved, and I hope it's when, and I hope it's the sooner the better, the secondary problem is going to be our economy. I, I'm afraid and I'm worried like everybody else is as to what are the consequences. We know there are going to be some huge ones. We know a lot of people are really going to suffer in this economy. As we tape this, Congress has not yet 
come up with the solution as far as the stimulus package. So right now, what we know is that the, uh, the consumer doesn't have anywhere near as much money um, and probably is not of the mindset to spend anywhere near as much money as they would have beforehand. And I think one of the things that athletic departments, Major League Baseball teams, whatever, uh, are going to have to be sensitive to is a price point uh, that the consumer can swallow. I think that's going to be vitally important. Um, I I brought it up on the air Friday that um, Major League Baseball teams probably need to think long and hard about, you know, in particular, the the teams that are not going to sell out on a regular basis. Uh, I might exclude the Dodgers and the Red Sox uh, and maybe the Yankees in this. But most of the teams, in particular in midweek games, are going to have to take eight to 10,000 of their seats in their stadiums and say, okay, these are the uh, eight to $10 seats. I just think that, that there's going to have to be more of a mindset like that. And so teams are going to have to rethink certain things. Will will SEC teams take more bus trips uh, in this economy? Perhaps. There's all kinds of questions. I don't pretend to have any of the answers. But those are the kind of things that are going to have to be thought about. Well, let's go worst-case scenario. Let's say there's no college football season, then what? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's one of the scary ones. And, you know, one of the things that has started to really scare me a little bit is this whole notion that we may get this thing solved as the weather gets warmer, but that it comes back for round two in the fall. Uh, I've started to hear that more in the last two or three days, and that's really a frightening proposition that there, you know, could be a round two to all of this. So none of us know. Um, you know, no college football for the fan would be terrible, just like all of this is terrible. Um, you know, there's certain revenue streams that. Uh, football generates, I mean, where you're going is at most of the power fives, football and a little bit basketball fund 16 to 20 sports. And so without football, how do you make it work? I mean, I don't pretend to have that answer. Well, let's hit the virus in first and I don't ever claim to speak as an expert on viruses or anything like that because I'm a sports writer, and it kind of annoys me where people get out of their lane. But I have heard some talk that this is kind of an 18-month thing to beat potentially where you need kind of, I don't know if it was two months of quarantine or two months of regular activity, then a month of quarantine, something like that. I think that was one theory I've heard proposed. Again, I think we're all spitballing here because this is unprecedented and these events are unpredictable. But even in that case where it is a year and a half to get rid of it through some sort of semi-extreme method, then you're looking at, heck, that's maybe two football seasons gone because you can't very well – 
you know, play a couple months and take one off. I don't know what that would look like for sports, but it just seems like uh, on one end there's potential for something that goes into 2021. On the other hand, you know, maybe to have a cure for it and this gets stamped out and a month from now we're going, thank God this was overblown. I have no idea where it's going, but the worst case into things it, it, to me is very problematic no matter who you are. And it's incredibly problematic if you're Vanderbilt. Yeah, I mean, um, from an athletic department standpoint, they don't make anywhere near the kind of revenue off football that virtually all of the other SEC teams make. Um, Basketball used to be just as important over there from a revenue standpoint as football was. And they were the only SEC school that probably fit that category. Maybe Kentucky when they were really down in football. Chris, I don't have the answers. I mean, you're you're raising some great points. Um, you know, do do schools a year, year and a half into this announce that they're getting out? I mean, I guess it's possible. Um I think we're we're in such uncharted territory that I'm not sure I would rule anything out anymore. No, I think the range of possibilities is incredible. I think if you think you can predict this thing, I think that's probably wrong. I just don't know how you know how these things turn out. I think you have an incredible range of possibilities, as I said. But let's go something middle ground, okay? Vanderbilt's already been hurt by this as it is. Uh, I think that this school year is going to leave a mark in terms of the loss of revenue. I think you could probably see double-digit employment um, come the fall. I mean, so many variables at work here, but then throw on top of that, even if you get back to football on a full-time basis, you know, you talked about ticket pricing strategies. I don't know that given their product – that people will want to go out there at any price, especially when it is hotter than the devil, um, you know, early in the year. I, I just, I have a lot of questions, even under a better case scenario, because their product just isn't much to sell right now. Yeah, they were going to have problems no matter what uh, in this coming season. Not a lot of uh, buzz around Vanderbilt football. Uh, nobody really knows enough about the quarterback situation to feel any confidence. The fan base wasn't particularly happy with the decision to retain Derek Mason. So it, it wasn't going to be pretty no matter what. Um, I, I don't really know how else to answer. You're, you're putting some great stuff out there, and I'm giving you absolutely nothing because I'm kind of throwing up my hands going, I have no idea where all this is going. Well, there's a couple more good questions in the mailbag, so I'm going to go there. The mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him at Joshua Minton HQ on Twitter or at Facebook.com forward slash JD Minton HQ. 
He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. Dorfan says, what are the odds there is no MLB draft this year? Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty likely that that scenario plays out because it's one of the first things that got talked about so quickly when all of this started to go down. Um, I, I think that's a I think that's a better than fifty fifty chance that there is not a draft. The whole baseball thing, man. You talk about a wide range of outcomes. I mean, you could see this whole season canceled. You could see the draft canceled. And if the latter happens, then you have a really interesting situation for both MLB and the NCA with roster situations next year and uh, allowing over the limit of 35 roster sizes, things like that. The draft becomes interesting. You're already having minor league contraction talk as it is. I mean, that that in itself is a whole podcast. The draft to me, I don't know. It seems to me like that's an extreme because what they pay these guys in signing bonuses is not even a drop in the bucket. I mean, you could take all the signing bonuses next year that all the teams will pay and it'll be what what Anthony Rendon got in one contract. I mean, something close to that. I think I think it's more than that. But you get my point. I just don't buy the argument that this is some sort of economic hardship for MLB. Do you? No, uh, I don't. I think MLB's in a real scramble right now. Uh, first of all, that they're trying to play out a bunch of different scenarios. Um, you know, personally, I think if it goes past July 1, I think they have to cancel. I just don't think, even though there's a precedent in the 81 strike season where they did, um, they came back uh, in early August, and what they did, they created a first-half winner and then they called the August through the end of the season a second half. And the Cincinnati Reds had the best record in all of baseball, but they didn't win either the first or second half and didn't get in. Anyway, I, I know I'm getting way off. But here's something to think about. The basketball season got crushed, but at least from a player development standpoint, all the players got in their season. They got the opportunity to pretty much fully develop. You know, a Saban Lee got to find out that there were times that he could just take over a game and just do dramatic things. Well, in baseball, this is a lost year. This is a lost year of development. And while you send these players home, you know, there are not a lot of scenarios where they can work out at places and and hone their craft. And, you know, the difference between seeing batting practice pitching and live pitching is huge. If and when they do come back at some point, you know, a year from now, boy, there are some real unknowns that I'll guarantee you are driving a Tim Corbin and any number of coaches across the country completely cuckoo. 
Yeah, and before I get back to the college and the draft end of it, I'm just sitting here thinking, so many of these minor league players hang on to this dream as long as they can, and the money is terrible, and the living conditions aren't great, and some of these kids are college guys with degrees or close to degrees. I wonder if you don't see a more mass exodus of marginal players just within the next year because of the unknowns and because they're getting paid so little to begin with and and now maybe nothing on top of that. I just wonder how many guys you just look at the situation and say, I've got to move on with my life because of the economic conditions. Well, you brought up a really good point. Um, Back when I did minor league baseball on radio in the 80s, You know, you had two different sets of players. You had a group that came straight out of high school, and then you had a group that went to college and and then came on out. Uh, There was more coming straight out of high school than there is now. College baseball has made some huge steps. It's a much more attractive proposition for the baseball player than it used to be. But you're right. There were there were some guys, a lot of them who were coming out of straight out of high school, who played into their 30s, career minor leaguers. And then there are a couple of them that I just asked that that I got to be friends with that I would say, "Why are you doing this?" And the scary part, the answer oftentimes was, "Because I don't really have any skills. You know, when I get out of this, I don't have a clue." what it is I would do. I guess the good news is more of the, the, there are more of the kids coming from college who are equipped to do other things, thank goodness. But you're right, that's a real, uh, that's a real issue. Well, and after hearing you say that, I do wonder if that will, when the dust has settled on this, make college baseball a more attractive option. Could well. Um, but it's going to be, listen, the, the baseball, the college baseball thing is going to be really weird because kids that should naturally take cert, certain steps, let's say from their freshman year where they had a certain level of production and by the middle of their sophomore year, they're expected to be able to produce at a higher level just through natural progression. They may not have had that natural progression. And so... You know, there's way more uncertainty in trying to chart what your team is, what player development is. This is going to be crazy. Oh, that's – I hadn't thought of that. You I mean, you lose a whole year of skill development. And, and baseball as a prospect age is key. So now you're 22 instead of 21, but you missed a year of developing. I wonder how that will factor in because age is a big factor when you're – examined as a prospect. Absolutely. The, the old saying, at 21, you're a prospect, and at 25, you're a suspect. Exactly. Well, one of the most fascinating things to me, and man, I hope this works. I think it's doubtful. Because I think you have some issues with arm development injuries and things that are way above my my pay grade. But there was talk that they would resume the baseball season in the fall, I think in August and they could maybe have the College World Series in a warm weather place or a dome somewhere. 
I love the thought of them playing college baseball in the fall, especially considering what I'm looking at covering in the fall in football. I think the distraction would be a welcome one for me and the fan base, but has there been any more talk about that happening? I haven't heard a lot. That doesn't mean that it's not being thrown up the flagpole. You know, when the when the decision came down, um, a lot of us, including me, were really critical of the NCAA for going ahead and canceling uh, all of the spring sports. I, I, I think in retrospect, uh, a bunch of us, me included, owe them a little bit of an apology because I think they've ended up being right and I've ended up being wrong about my assessment of this. This appears to be way more serious than any of us understood on that Wednesday night as we were, you know, sitting at the SEC tournament, you know, watching the Twilight Zone. I think it's way more serious, and they probably did the right thing. I have never seen a three- or four-hour period where things changed more. And actually, if you want to carry that over to the next day and make it, say, oh, a, a 12-hour period or whatever it turned out to be. But it went from, I'm in that building, and the virus thing is starting to pick up some noise, but nothing has changed yet. In other words, the tournament's on, fans are welcome to come. And it went from... In the middle of playing the games, they decided to limit the audience, that there would be no more fans. So that broke as games were being played that night. And then by the next morning, it was the whole thing's off. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen things change as quickly as they did last week. And again, I go back to where we were. We leave two Saturdays ago for vacation. And we know about it and we're concerned about it, but we're thinking, okay, we'll go down there, we'll be safe, all these things. And again, if we have to make that decision two days later, I don't think we go. It has just been something that I don't think I can compare another experience in my life to, not just in terms of sports, but in terms of how it affected my life and everybody else's. Um, This is just uncharted water here. It was bizarre. I guess I went to uh, the Wednesday session of the SEC tournament as a spectator. I don't know, I guess more out of morbid curiosity than anything. And also this nagging feeling in my mind that this may be the last sporting event that I see for a long time. Uh, I thought it was so bizarre that Thursday morning uh, to see, I guess it was Creighton, and St. John's play a first half while all the other conferences had gone ahead and made the decision to bag it. And there was a lot of monkey see, monkey do in in a lot of the announcements. Uh, it appeared to me that once the Big East realized that they were the lone uh, Mohican, that they rushed in at halftime and said, we're done. And I would love to have been the I would love to have been able to see the scenario where whoever from the Big East had to walk into those locker rooms and tell those coaches, uh, hey, um, uh, you don't need to talk to your team anymore. We're done. And and the look on people's faces when they heard that. Um, can you imagine? Oh, I know. I mean, 
I said this in the last podcast I did before I went on vacation. I mean, look, you have one level of things where it's life and death, and that supersedes everything. So canceling games in the grand scheme of things isn't that big of a deal. But also you have kids who've worked and trained for this their whole life, and you have guys that were going to play in the NCAA tournament for the first time, and guys that were going to end their career in the NCAA tournament, and all those things. And that's kind of what you live for is those experiences. And to see that just taken away from kids and coaches who'd worked so hard, again, uh, not the fault of any of the decision makers. I don't blame them for any of that. But that part is really sad. It is. And, and there's so many of these kind of stories um, that it's just, I mean, it's a tragedy. It absolutely is. And, um, you know, I, I don't know where we go from here, but um, I know this, the spring of 2020, that's going to be a hard one to get out of our minds. Um, you know, we all remember where we were uh, when 9-11 happened. And I suspect that for an e- even younger generation, Chris, than us, uh, they're not going to soon forget the spring of 2020. Well, man, this is just, it's gut-wrenching enough for, I think, everybody. And I look at this from a Vanderbilt-specific standpoint, okay? And football, last season was the worst in a while. Next season, I don't think will be any better. Basketball, to me, uh, let's check back and see where things settle as transfers come and go, and then I'll have more of a feel on where they're headed for next year. I still think that's a wide range of outcomes, potentially, for Vanderbilt. Uh, But I I don't think that's a team that's going to be a a Sweet 16 participant next year or anything like that. And I think a tournament berth is going to be an uphill climb no matter how this shakes out. But here's what I'm getting to. Right now, baseball is the shining beacon in the midst of the other three sports being both basketball programs and football, which collectively I think are at an all-time low. I don't think that's even arguable right now. And on top of everything else and just the pain that the sports fans are feeling, Vanderbilt fans have had the one thing that they were I mean, they're not even decent at the others right now, and they're great at that one. And I think that's particularly painful if you are a Vanderbilt fan to see that thing get ripped from you because, I mean, who knows where this thing could have headed. I think the SEC season was going to be very interesting based on the pitching talent in that league. I couldn't wait to watch it. I mean, take Vandy out of it. Just the SEC alone uh, and getting to watch those players and those teams, that was going to be tremendous fun for me just as a spectator. Um I just look at this for Vanderbilt in the midst of a climate with what happened with the AD, with the fundraising uncertainty. I think the fan base is at a low point all time, and now the one thing that it had to look forward to just got ripped out from under it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's sad for the for the Vanderbilt fan because this is just, as you explained it a minute ago, this is the one thing they have to hang their hat on right now, and it's it's been really good, and they're the defending NCAA champions. And they don't get a chance this season to defend that crown, which is 
really sad. It's unfortunate, but in the, uh, in the scheme of, of what's going on in our world, it's just one of a series of things to deal with. George, let's talk, uh, let's do the last question and we'll get out of here. This is from Vandy fan 96. Uh, do you think there will be a 2020 college football season? You know, a week ago, I would have said absolutely, no question. Uh, but I've really got my doubts now. Uh, as I hear more and more of this, um, you know, we may get a, you know, a resolution in the summer, but it could come back in the fall. Um, you know, that, that really concerns me. And uh, gosh, there are just so many scenarios that are so depressing. Um, and I'll give you one. You know, we as a country, we we all enjoy the three-day Memorial Day weekend. It's sort of the beginning of summer um, unofficially. It's warm weather. It's barbecues. It's getting together with friends. And, I mean, this year, are we going to be stuck doing what we did this weekend? Um for me, it's just really depressing. Well, I keep coming back to this. I try not to speak much on things I don't know about. You don't see me tweet a lot about right. politics. or I mean, for, for some of our profession, and it gets on people's nerves. It's like they become, uh, you know, amateur political analysts or talk about the disease right. as if they're doctors. And I think a lot of it's well-intentioned, but it does get ridiculous after a while. So I kind of pledge to not engage in that. Um, I just don't know. I think it's a big unknown. I don't think the people that know this stuff inside and out probably know. I mean, they give your opinions, but I don't think you see people speak with any sort of certainty. I don't know how you could. So if those guys don't know, then I don't know how you or I could. I will say one thing. I, I do think people tend to underestimate possibilities of things. That's just a statement across life. Um, I think, I, I think back to this, I think I'm honestly surprised that we've never had anything like this in my lifetime. I mean, the odds with all these diseases and the way things spread, I mean, I, I'm kind of, now that I think about it, and this is just something I'm thinking and processing as we speak, I'm almost more amazed that something like this has never happened before, given the potential for it to happen. I will say this, um, you have all kinds of drug companies who I'm sure are working overtime to find cures. You have medicines out there that may cure this as it is. So I also would rule out the possibility that this is not nearly as bad as we think. Um, I, I don't know. Absolutely. I don't I don't know if that's I don't know that I would take um, that against the field of other options. In fact, I, I know I wouldn't, but I also wouldn't rule that out. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, that's what we pray for every day. And, um, you know, with God's help, who knows what could happen here. Uh, but I'm not going to sit here and lie and act like it's not scary because it is. Well, and prayer is not the only strategy, but I think it is important. And it's something that I intend to be more active in, um, not just for the people who are suffering for it and might be, but for the doctors and nurses. And I encourage people to keep those people in your prayers. Um, you know, I hope this ends up making us 
I hope this tragedy, I guess, is something we can learn from and move forward from and in some way treat each other better and with more respect. Um, I have my doubts whether that will happen, but that's my hope. Amen. And with that, let's end the show. George, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your shows every day. Okay, I'm on Twitter, uh, as shocking as that seems, uh, at George Plaster TN. My show is 2 to 4 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday, uh, on 560 on the AM dial, 95.9 on FM. And probably most importantly, as people are spending so much time in their homes, you can get on the app at Nashville Sports Radio, and it comes in clear as a bell. And I would invite any and all of you to listen to the show. Um, Watson Brown's a part of it. Terry McCormick's a part of it. And um, we're definitely talking sports. George, thank you so much. And I appreciate your friendship. Be safe. And best of luck to you as you try to plan your shows, go about your life. Um, I hope you stay free from the virus and just continued best wishes with all you do. Chris, same to you and your family, same to all our listeners. Um, We're going to get through this. Um, You know, none of us quite know how yet, but we're a great country and we're going to, we're going to make it happen. Thank you, George. See ya. He is George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Stay tuned. We should have more episodes of the show coming later this week.